If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. The question is, is the content of value? Often it is, and so often it isn't. It depends on who you get and, and where you get it from. And they become uh, a kind of high-end collectible item. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Mark Stavish a little bit later about egregores and having a practice and all sorts of fun stuff like that. It's great chat, very inspi- inspiring. And uh, yeah, kind of didn't, you don't expect that from egregore chat maybe, but here it is. Mark hits it out of the park. Of course, we got everybody's favorite podcaster, Graham Dungeons and Dunlop over here. <laughs> hey, buddy. With your new mystery shirt that yep. came to the P.O. box. Yep. I think that, I think I know who sent it. Justin? Maybe. Yeah, Are you blaming I'll, Justin? I'll find out tonight. Will you? At the, oh, is that why you're wearing it? So you don't, it's, is it, are you wearing it more for D&D yeah, than the podcast? definitely. definitely. I then, don't want to change again when I get home, so. Because then, oh yeah. Huh. So yeah, Mark's not, it's not just about the book of Egregores. I mean, he's written many, many, many books and he's in, in the charge of the, or I think it's, he founded the hermeticinstitute.org, all kinds of esoteric and magical stuff and he's all about the practice like you said it was uh it was inspiring you know it doesn't matter what you talk Say. about or write or whatever it's like if you're not really doing the work like do the work you know get up that's in the, the hard part though it's the harder part yeah but a lot of it reminded me about recovery lingo you know like they they, they gotta you gotta do the work like if you wanted to stay clean and sober you gotta do the work that Think was so? kind of yeah that was like when What's you're at that point right become better person Cleaning up your mess. Clean up your mess, yeah. Cleaning your side of the street, and so it's not just and and, and quitting and, drinking. It's making your bed, yeah, cleaning your room, yeah. That exactly. That's mm. kind of what. Uh, that's kind of what reminded me of some of that stuff that you learn. Excellent. And there, and then taking care, of, you know, every night looking at looking at your shit and reconciling your behavior, going deep within and cleaning up your past and going deep balls making, deep get on being accountable for your present i mean that's really what it's about too right and accountability yeah yeah so that's, that was good was great chat where'd the camera go see this will happen when the fucking cats get in here oh you can't let the cats in here. they're gonna Dude, destroy things you remember like that tuesday night we recorded in yeah. here don't tell me the cat was locked the in. cat was oh, locked no. in here until the next day oh afterward. my god Oh no, it's going to be destroyed in here. I locked my cat in the studio too. She ripped up the carpet and everything. I've been looking. I was like, she must have went to the bathroom in here somewhere, but I can't find it. Because she was in here for almost 24 hours. It was probably a a solid 20 hours. I did it too. And I heard this scratching. I'm like, why does that litter box, why does that scratching in the litter box sound so different and so loud? And sure enough, it was her trying to get her out of the studio and I didn't even notice. I've been trying to figure out why Tiberius has been this other neighborhood cat around and it comes up to the front window. Tiberius don't like that cat. Tiberius likes everybody, but he fucking hates this cat. He's freaking out. 
And then today this cat's chasing the chickens around the backyard. <gasps> That's why. So Tiberius, Tiberius is, is he protecting the chickens? Well, he's a little scared of the chickens, but he really? definitely, he definitely knows that they're part of the family. It seems like he gets it. Yeah. So I think that could be the problem is this cat door fucks with the chickens and Tiberius can't have it. Boy, is he scared of this other cat or is he struggling? I don't know. To I let him out or... today and the other cat ran off. Tiberius went strutting around. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. He's a pretty big cat. He can have yeah, those oh, yeah, on. Yeah, And cat drama. Yeah. Neighborhood cat drama. Yeah. What happens when you let your cats outside? There's fucking cats everywhere around this I area. don't let my cats out. Dude. Yeah, I won't I do it. Why not? Because they're going to get killed by a, Something. By a, a lynx or a... A lynx. Yeah. Is there a lot of lynxes in Chesterman? I don't know. I just, you know, coyote, just, a car. Prairie lynx? You know. Most likely a coyote, I think, Maybe if anything. Maybe ends up in the Chinese food store down the road, you know? Whoa. <laughs> so we made it like <laughs> almost five minutes before <laughs> canceled. Canceled before we got canceled. Oh. Uh, yeah. And well, I think coyotes is one you got to worry about. And cats are getting run over once in a while, but I don't think it's like a major problem around here. People drive pretty fucking slow everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But I don't want to. It's the coyotes. I mean, I, mean, I love the Here's the problem I have coyotes. with it is, is, is then you got to be letting them out all the time. As that's the other problem. Oh, yeah. It's a pain in the ass because yeah. now they always want to go out and in and out but and in. But they're always going to the bathroom outside. That helps. Yeah, that would help. Yeah. yeah. Big time. And then in the winter, they don't go out. And I start to get grumpy. Really? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So I want, yeah, I don't want grumpy You cats. just want them to be grumpy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine are super cool. Are they? Yeah. Super cool? Yeah. Not just cool, super cool? Yeah. Your one cat's all right. He's a little bit over the top. Zeus? Not Zeus. The new one. Is that Zeus? No, Zeus is the old one. Yeah. Which one was the one that hassled me the other day? That's Zeus, probably. Oh, is it? Yeah. He looks different. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so what do you got? Well, I got some... Oh, man, I got... A, so I've been saving up an email for this intro because it's kind of a spooky one. It's a bit more of from the kind of magic, sort of esoteric side of things. Haven't read it yet on the show and I've got a uh, synchronicity lighten things up a little bit. Ooh, synchronicity. That's... I've got a long email from a friend of ours in uh trip in Osaka who's traveling around the world still. What you was... I think I'll probably save that one though, even though I was going to read it this time, but because I have some other emails, we'll just save that Osaka one. And then I've got a project operation for you as well, which is sort of significant. It's a small one, but it's significant. Significant, small but significant. Mm -hmm. That was your nickname in high school, eh? That's, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> Let's start with this because I forgot for like three weeks now. Get out a pen and paper and write this down or a pencil. Why don't you send some physical mail to the Grimerica show at P.O. Box 16033. Next line. Uh-huh. There's nothing in there. 100 815. What's that? Comma. 17th Avenue SW. Next line. Uh-huh. Calgary, Alberta. Next line. Uh-huh. Canada. Next line. Uh-huh. T2T space 5H7. That's the P.O. Box. Why don't you send Darren some dirty socks? Cause he's got a dirty sock fetish. <laughs> Why don't you send Graham some gold bullying? Cause he's got a gold bullying fetish. Oh my God. Send him some gold. Send him some gold. Send him Just some so gold. remembers, dirty socks is code for weed, not dirty socks. Last socks but that showed up. Do, do you want him in dirty sock though, really? Or? Uh. 
We didn't wear them. We don't wear dirty <laughs> socks. Well, I wash them first. You, did you seriously get athlete's foot? <laughs> I did get athlete's foot. Not from socks. So. Well, it could have been from socks. Dear Guy America Show. Oh my God, this is hilarious. Enclosed is our black two-pack of lock laces for your shoes, as well as homemade face masks. We also included a bandana and a step-by-step instructional for you to build. We hope you enjoy. We will be happy to send additional samples to you and your followers as needed. Stay safe and healthy, and please feel free to reach out with any questions or comments. Win, never tie, Cameron. Thanks, Cameron. The, it's a, the bandana is like a bright yellow, like right from Paris and the Yellow Vest riot. So Why we can save it, like it for we can because <laughs> he said two pack in there. He said two pack in there, didn't he? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he meant a two pack. Oh, of fucking two pack of laces. laces. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's two pack. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cameron. Oh. Sorry we're so late getting to it. Yeah. So he's got these lock laces, which do seem pretty cool for shoes. That That's fantastic. It reminds me of the, uh, what are the shoes that I used to wear? The Solomon shoes have this, I think. Then we got this one to the Grimerica show. Customs declaration says it's cup holders. So he sent us, he sent us instructions on how to make a face mask out of this thing. That's pretty funny, actually. I didn't get the homemade mask, though. Well, no, it's for the bandana. It's a, you make the, you turn this bandana with the lock laces into a homemade mask. Look. Where are, the, where are my knives going? <clears throat> I had knives, especially for... Your cat stole them. That's not a good sign. <clears throat> if the cat took the knives, then I need to really keep my fucking head up. Means they're probably planning insurrection. Yeah. Going out uh, hunting with George tomorrow. Shout oh, out good, to George. Good. Awesome. Hey, George. Don't think there's a note in here. It might literally just be a cup holder. That's like the t-shirt. The t-shirt just showed up without a note, too. It showed up with some candy. Darren's just trying to get open this package that looks like it's wrapped really good, maybe to hide something, some scent or something in there. Oh, it's a bag that's folded up a million times. Morrison's bag. One of these times, it's going to be a bag of anthrax. We got... Oh, awesome. Some cup holders. Sasquatch oh. cup holders. Oh, I love it. So, oh, these are cool, too. Oh, he's kind of a kind of a sassy Sasquatch. Oh, it is Sasquatch. Yeah. See, it's funny. I, I knew it was sassy. <laughs> You're so intuitive. <laughs> 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 hey guys a little gift from the uk don't worry it's not coronavirus i've been listening to the show for a few years now and absolutely love it i try and do my bit by supporting and helping out with the facebook page keep up the great work and maybe find a guest to talk about the great tartaria and the mud floods my new rabbit hole much love from the uk namaste lee Smudge2K in the chats. America.ca slash chats. If you want to be in the chats, hang out with like eight or nine hundred of the coolest motherfuckers you ever met. Very cool. 
Thanks, Lee, for the sassy Sasquatch cup holder. I will put my. Well, cup. no, it's a it's a it's a coaster, not a cup holder. Coaster. It's holding my cup. It's not holding it. It's just, <laughs> it's holding it off the table. Um, it's, no, it's not. It's just <laughs> protecting the table from it. Is it? No, it's a protector. Yeah, it's a coaster. <laughs> a cup holder. <laughs> it's holding my cup. It's not holding anything. It's holding my cup. It's not holding it. It's not holding it. It's just sitting on it. What about now? Now it's still <laughs> you're holding it. Oh boy. All right. Okay, let's get, let's jump is... into one of these synchros. Ah, uh, what do we got for a synchro jingle here? Let's go with I want a good score from a synchronicity Graham reads it out, then Dara might give it to me Hey, don't you please read it low, yeah, yeah So I should have, I probably misspoke about this being a synchro It's a story, it's oh. a it's a, it, well, I mean, some people might Miss call it a spoke. synchro, but, you know. I don't think you get to chalk that up to a misspeak. Well, I should have, I kind of jumped You fucked up. I kind of yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> hey guys, so happy I get to listen to you guys again. It's been a while, so I wanted to share this crazy story with you. In March of 2018, every Wednesday I would go to the psychic group. You could have dinner and pay five bucks and put a piece of jewelry in the envelope and they would hold the jewelry and write on the envelope and everything that would come to them. Well, the night I was there, the lady says, do you know a Kelsey? I said, no. She said, Kelsey will be major role in your life. And then she went on to tell me about waterfront property and a family gathering. She said, this place is very important. I kept trying to think of anyone, but couldn't think of a single Kelsey. Fast forward. In May 2019, I received a job offer, and upon my first day, I met my team and who was my equal coworker, Kelsey. At the time, I thought about the envelope, but I didn't want her to think I was crazy, so I kept it to myself. Moving forward, she ended up becoming my branch manager. I just now received another job offer, and I gave my two weeks' notice. Something in the back of my mind kept reminding me to bring her this envelope, that she was supposed to see this envelope. So I did. I brought it. It made her hair stand up. She said her grandfather, Lewis passed away a while ago, and she was supposed to meet with her family on the waterfront property to spread his ashes. She said she missed the event and was so upset, almost started to cry when she read at the bottom of the envelope that said, he's proud of her. Thanks, guys. Keep on doing your thing. So she sent a picture of the envelope. And the envelope says on the bottom when they wrote all that on there about the waterfront property in Kelsey, he's proud of her. So somehow that envelope got from Celine, this listener here, Selena, to Kelsey to say that her grandfather is proud of her. Hmm. Crazy, eh? That is crazy. I love those psychic stories. Somehow there's like this connection from the... The world beyond. It's ether, baby. Like when we went to that group psychic and and Maria wanted to know about uh, Gary and she turns to the side of the room and goes, and Gary wants to say something. <laughs> Maria's like, oh my God. Huh. You know, there's there's too many of these instances. A little synchro. I mean, we're, we're Here's a little synchro. That, okay. Do you bring that up? 
It was yesterday, the day before, I found some random receipts. And uh, one was for that dinner at the... Remember we went out for dinner, the four of us, after the psychic? Me, you, Marie, Natasha went to yep. that. So I had the receipt from that because we used a company card. And I was like, "What? where the fuck is this from? Do I need to keep this receipt? Where is it from? When When was I at Starbelly? And then, I, yeah. So I was, I was just thinking about that like two days ago. Oh, yeah. Yep. Perfect. There you go. Yeah. 2.0. All right. Ready for the creepy one? A creepy synchro? No, it's a not a synchro. Email? It's a creepy email, yeah. From Osaka? Nope. No, I'm going to save that one. This is from somebody else. We have a trip, trippy jingle? Uh, you creepy can just jingle? do like the... No, I'll just do the... Uh, uh, the spam gram, maybe one? Spam gram. That one? There are internet Whoops. trolls. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's okay. Let me just read <laughs> That was a bit of a shock to the system, that one. Okay, this is from Shane. He says, hey, Graham, so I had this crazy experience about two weeks after I emailed you about that crazy book I found. Oh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to leave this in here. He found an old, worn copy of, Man- of from Manly P. Hall on the secret teachings. Really? But it's not the secret teachings, but it looked exactly like very, very similar to that. But not that? So looked like? I mean, we're talking about books. <clears throat> So, I mean, it, uh, let me, okay. I'm going to try and find it now. Cause it's, uh, it's kind of important. I think that I find that just so I can. Oh, look, that book looks like the secret teachings of all ages. No, no, too. No, it just no, has no, a different no. title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, there's no point in even trying to. Oh, look, that book, talk to you about look, it. that, that book looks like Charlie Robinson's book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's what I mean. So there's a picture of it. Okay. It's called the uh, the Diamond Edition, the Diamond Edition of Masonic Hermetic Kabbalistic Rosicrucian Symbological Philosophy by Manly P. Hall. Now, the reason why I say that's very similar is that's like the subtitle of the Secret Teachings. Is it close to it? <laughs> <laughs> why are you making so fun no, of me on this? I'm I mean. Not. It, it, I just think it's funny when you say a book looks like, but it's not. It's very, well, because he, he wrote so many books and they're they're sort of combined and intertwined and stuff. So. I feel like the secret teachings might be an amount, would almost be an amalgamation yeah. of them all, but didn't he write that one first? Pretty well. Uh, you know who's got some of those old cool books is uh, Ferris Fair. Really? Yeah, well, I was just there yesterday. Which one, the one in Inglewood? Yeah, and it's flooded out. It flooded out in the storm. They were throwing away hundreds of books. From the really, flood. The, the roof drains. Something happened to the roof drains, and it just <sighs> all the Dune books are destroyed. Their bottom shelf. No, the bottom shelf was. I had D and D books on the bottom shelf. I was going to buy, and they're still good. But I had. I, we were allowed to go in and take a look at it because my buddy Mark's like in there all the time, and he's friends with them. Um, and uh, they're fine. The bottom shelf. So, because the water came down, there was flood all over. But oh, so a it's lot just the of stuff that went past on the way. I down? think so. But but the whole thing just flooded out. It was pretty brutal. I mean, I keep the. I'm trying to build the whole collection of novels, so I'm in there every once in a while picking it off. And then whenever there's a, a copy of the original, I buy it and give it to someone. It's only five bucks. You can't go wrong for a five dollar book. Well, the problem is in the D and D stuff. They they're very in tune with what is going right on the in the digital universe. So they you can't really find a good deal in a store like that on like let's say a D and D book. Like they know that it's being 
on eBay, it's worth sixty, and they might charge fifty or sixty. Yeah, you can't well, get a deal a business. on that stuff. So they're running a business. You know where you should check is that little place out in Langdon. Oh they yeah, that would be good. Yeah, because that's 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 the, pe- the you need to find those little places that have old D and D books, like and they don't even know fifty cents that, a book. That D and D is huge right now. A buck a book, yeah. but if you get over ten, they're fifty cents or something yeah, like that. It's like super cheap. Yeah, I've got gonna, I've pulled some good books out of there too. Some treasures. Yeah. I'll go find that. Yeah. I used to want to buy all those old UFO books, the really old, like classic ones from the 50s, 60s, because I thought, you know what? Someday when no. when they mm-hmm. land and disclosures yeah. here, those these might be, be worth something. These will be worth a fortune. Yeah. Secret gold mining yeah, UFO exactly, book. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So back to the email. So that's the book he found, which I found was really interesting. So he says, Did I use his last name? No. Right. Okay. Here goes. So first, three important details. I live in a travel trailer while I'm working on building my house on my property. TV sits in the back near the couch facing the front of the trailer. The bedroom is in the front and the bathroom is in the middle. My dog lives in the trailer with me. His name is Huck. He is a good guard dog and a good boy. I use my Xbox with an HDMI connection through my sound bar to my TV. Okay, so I've been watching YouTube around 9.30, And I got bored with it, so I decided to play some video games. I opened one up and let it go to the loading screen, which is almost all white. I don't have any lights on in my trailer because I don't need them on. While the game was loading, I went into the bathroom to take a leak. I'm standing there in the dark, and I can still see because the light from the TV is reflecting off the mirror in the bathroom. As I'm standing there, using the bathroom, I can see my shadow and the reflection of the varnish on the cabinets above my toilet. And there's a horizontal white line, kind of starburst pattern, where the TV is reflecting as well. As I watch, the horizontal white lines disappear like someone was standing right behind me. I can feel someone or something right there. Every single hair on my body was on end. I was absolutely terrified. I didn't send malice or ill intent. I just, or I didn't sense malice or ill intent. I just sensed power, extreme power. It felt like when you were somewhere... And you see someone and you just know somehow not to mess with that person. This felt powerful to the point where I knew, I knew that it could take me out. So without turning, I asked, who or what are you and what do you want? And I heard nothing back, just felt the presence there not moving. I had finished using the bathroom, but by then I hadn't turned around. In my head, I was thinking, if this is how I go, I want to at least see it coming. I'm going to face it. As soon as I started to turn around, my sound bar on my TV turned itself off and everything went black. I felt a cold breeze go past me. The TV. I felt a cold breeze go past me toward the TV and then the sound bar turned back on by itself, bringing back the light. There was no one there, but the room felt weird, I guess. Charged would be the right word. Through all this, my dog never barked, growled, or even woke up. I have no idea what to make of this. I feel like I observed an observer, I guess. I felt like I was an ant in an ant farm and the human was checking on me. That's how powerful it felt. If I had to put a label on that feeling, I was reading off it. That feeling would be curiosity. So I was scared in the moment. I was so scared in the moment I didn't pick up on that. Only after thinking about it did I come to that conclusion. The hair on the back of my neck and arms are standing up right now just writing this down and reliving it. So yeah, any thoughts or ideas on what you think that 
thing was would be greatly appreciated. I really don't have anyone to talk about weird stuff like this. I love your show and keep up the good work. Confusedly yours, Shane. I think that's a word. Confusedly. Yeah, it is now. It is now. Yeah. Great, great dictionary of America. So yeah, still that was got a the great, original definition that was a great of fascism. Story, eh? Did you? That shit would creep me out, man. Yeah. You know what's weird is I had I, I had at the time I had ideas I was gonna say for what to talk about on the show about what it was, and I can't even I can't even think about it now. I was thinking of like sort of a portal or a gateway or some entity in there, obviously that uh, that shut down the power for a couple seconds as it moved out, or but I, I remember aliens. Yeah, like why? No, just no, nothing about aliens. It's just. Sounds more like interdimensional demonic in a way, demonic? or you know that kind of thing. Maybe it's all or demons. Something just joining, something just coming into this existence for a while and checking things out. Hmm. So I don't have much to say. I've I've lost what I was going to say at the time. Creepy, nonetheless. Yeah. And interesting how right when he goes to turn around, the thing goes out. Like it's it's like it just knows you're turning around to look at it, and it just. What if we could have turned around? You had to fake it out. You gotta be like, yeah, take a selfie. Yeah, but if it knows what you're, <laughs> if it knows what you're thinking, man, you can't even you know you can't even fake these things. No, you can't. You just gotta approach it with love. Hit it with love. Like do you remember just that? love it. Yeah, love it. Do you remember that What's interview we had love with uh, do with it with the OBE guy? Oh, and, and, he, and he was in a week-long battle with that entity, and he just hit it with love, and finally that's what destroyed it. Love's the answer. Yep, it is. That's it. We can wrap up the show. Love's the answer. Let's do it. No more interviews require. Anyways, thanks, love buddy. Appreciate you. Low. Appreciate you telling me. I was thinking about that. We have to figure out. I'm going to start memeing more about love and we have to talk about it more on the show. We have to rise above all this conflict and all this hate and, and start re reattaching to love. I agree. Yeah. You hateful bastard. <laughs> well, I got, uh, we always got the perfect jiggle for that. If Maria supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection and put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track shivers or vibrations and stuff like that underneath breaths of deep gratitude okay, and prayers okay. for guidance and protection creepy hearing my voice in there shamanic drumming track shivers or vibrations and stuff like that underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection and put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track this is a little creepy though your voice is a little creepy there's the last last thing a few people have heard Whisper it in their ear. It's gonna be okay. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? This coaster is great at holding my cup. It's the profound quote of the week. <laughs> can you guess the human who spoke it? So this is from our favorite book here on the 
Lives in the Studio Table, The Octopus of Global Control by Charlie Robinson. Octopus. Thousands of quotes. This is from the Critical Thinking chapter. This is a good one. It's very fitting. Or how about when you're a child, to stop you from following the crowd, you're assaulted with the line. Following? (laughs) From following the crowd? Don't follow the crowd too close. If everyone jumped (laughs) off a bridge, would you? Yes. But when you're an adult and to be different is suddenly a crime. People seem to be saying, hey, everyone else is jumping off the bridge. Why aren't you? Uh, What? You don't don't like it? Bill Hicks? Steve Toltz. Never heard of him. A fraction of the whole. I don't like it. You don't, so you don't remember as a kid? I do remember that. Well, now it's the opposite. If you're not following the crowd, you're a conspiracy theorist or you're, you know, why aren't you? Why aren't you doing what everybody else does? I think it's like that when you're a kid too. No. If you're doing the wrong thing, it'd be like, why can't you just fucking put your hand up to go to the bathroom like everybody else or whatever, you know? It goes both ways. Yeah, whatever. Oh. Okay. (laughs) That's when I know I've made a good point. <laughs> uh, what else you got? Well, I got boy? a what? I got an operation project for you too. Oh God! What? Nothing. People no, like this. I, I this. Love, I love it. It's my favorite segment. It's my new favorite Uh-oh, segment. I have a problem. I've I've lost it. You have lost it. I've I think you lost segment. it around episode two fifty. If is that want. when you think, yeah? Is that what you think? When... Could have been a little later than that. But um, it wasn't a ton later than that. It was in around episode, somewhere in the 200s. Oh, what's that noise? It looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified, too. Dish fire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke, MK Ultra. Operation Project. Project Operation. <laughs> Operation Chaos. Operation Chaos. That's this week's show? Yeah. Operation Chaos. It was a CIA domestic espionage project targeting the American people from 67 to 74. It was also MH Chaos, so it was under that heading. And that heading designated that the program had a worldwide op- area of operations. So it was, pr- it was established by Johnson and expanded under Nixon, whose mission was to uncover possible foreign influence on domestic race, anti-war, and other protest movements. The operation was launched under the D, the Director of Central Intelligence, Richard Helms, by Chief of Counterintelligence, James Angleton, and was headed by Richard Ober. So it began this domestic recruiting operations in 59 in the process of finding Cuban exiles who could be used in the campaign against communist Cuba and Fidel Castro. As these operations expanded, they formed a domestic operations division in 64. And then in 65, Johnson requested that the CIA begin its own investigation into domestic dissent. I wonder if that's still going on. Independent of the FBI's ongoing COINTELPRO. So the CIA started spying on domestic people, figuring out what's going on about dissent. And along with the FBI that was already doing their COINTELPRO. And there's a few other projects here that I'll keep, uh, um, I'll keep a list of uh, for next time. But COINTELPRO is interesting. You know about that, right? No. 
that was a that was an abbreviation derived from counterintelligence, so COINTEL program. So well, they not an like operation or project, but a program. And it was a series of covert and illegal projects conducted by the United States FBI aimed at surveilling, infiltrating, discrediting, and disrupting American political organizations. Jeez, what's what's new? They've been doing that anyways. FBI records show that COINTELPRO resources targeted groups and individuals that the FBI deemed subversive, including feminist organizations, the Communist Party USA, anti-Vietnam war organizers, activists of the civil rights or black power movement, environmentalists, animal rights organizations, American Indian movement, AIM, independence movements, like the Young Lords and a variety of organizations that were part of the broader New Left. The program also targeted the Ku Klux Klan in 64. They just kept going left. Crazy, eh? In the 71, this is so long ago too, right? I mean, imagine this stuff years. has been going on for this long. 50 years. In 71 in San Diego, the FBI financed, armed, and controlled an extreme right-wing group of former members of the Minutemen, anti-communist paramilitary organization, transforming it into a group called the Secret Army Organization that targeted groups, activists, and leaders involved in the anti-war movement using both intimidation and violent acts. Greasy bastards. The FBI have used, and this is just from Wikipedia, so, I mean, who knows? You got to take it with a grain of salt, but it sure seems... Uh, Teaspoons. <laughs> the FBI has used covert operations against domestic political groups since its inception. However, covert ops under the official COINTELPRO label took place between 56 and 71. COINTELPRO tactics are still used to this day and have been alleged to include discrediting targets through psychological warfare, smearing individuals and groups using forged documents and by planting false reports in the media, harassment, wrongful imprisonment, and illegal violence, including assassination. According to the Senate report, the FBI's motivation was protecting national security, preventing violence, and maintaining the existing social and political order. Creepy. That is pretty fucked up. <clears throat> Agent provocateurs, the whole nine yards. Yeah, the infiltration of the media. I mean, so so I guess putting it into context from today's world of, you know, what happened with the They're whole done. FBI and Obamagate no. and all this stuff. I mean, imagine it was bad back then. All those groups they infiltrated back then especially in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Especially when you start going by the assumption that they're all on the same team. <laughs> They've just been running unchecked, maybe till and now. And as if these organizations ever like slim down in size. I mean, they grow, 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 and grow. I mean, how many CIA and FBI uh, agents do you think there are now? Thousands and thousands. 16,752. Like, is it? I don't know. You probably, for what? Which one? Combined. Combined? Yeah. Hey, Siri, how many FBI people are there in the world? That was badly phrased. <laughs> Just a sec. Okay. Thirty-five thousand people just for the US, just for the FBI. <laughs> so you're not even close. Hey Siri, how many people work for the CIA? There are twenty-one thousand five hundred and seventy-five employees in Central Intelligence Agency. So yeah, fifty thousand before you add the before you add the off-the-books people and the under-the-radar people. Yeah, that's mind-boggling. It's probably more like sixty thousand. Yeah. Huh. 
That's like uh, three chest mirrors. Yeah. Anyway, so that's all I got, buddy. Are you going to do the Osaka email this week? Or no, wait no, next I'm going to wait till next week. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be a few yeah. minutes. It's, a, it's a long email. It's a long, long email. And I want to, I don't know if I should split it up or not, but it's uh it's a challenging one. A little controversial. Well, we love our buddy tripping in Osaka. I can't remember what episode that was, but we'll put, we had him on the show. Yeah, yeah, it was great. We'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Of course, before we let you guys get into this fantastic interview with Mark, we do have to remind you that if you are getting a little value from the podcast, if you could find it in your hearts to send a little value back our way at grammerica.ca slash support, there's Stripe options, Patreon options, PayPal options, one-time donation options. Um, yeah, we could use it. We could definitely use it to keep the wheels turning around here, keep everything trending in the right direction, try and make up for the uh, tons of subs we lost over all the COVID stuff and people losing their jobs. It looks like everything's slowly starting to fire back up. So as your stuff fires back up, don't forget to take a look at that Grimerica subscription and see where it's at, especially if you're on Stripe. The Stripe uh, Stripe subscriptions uh, really took a hit. I had to fix a bunch of stuff on the back end. So no. check your Stripe Check your Stripe subscription. If you haven't checked in a while, check all your subscriptions if you haven't in a while because we need some more support because we love you. If you're getting a little value, send a little value back our way, grammerica.ca slash support. Um, Review the show. Yeah, we're up to like 902 ratings now. Not full-on reviews. I don't know what that's at, but like ratings. We've been rated 900 times. We average four and a half stars. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. So let's, we'd like to get that number up to a thousand for now. So we need like another hundred. So uh, just wherever you listen to the show, ideally iTunes uh, through that, slash iTunes will get you there. But wherever you listen to the show, review that shit, rate it, yeah. share it with your friends, sign up a newsletter. You got to join the chats. If you're not in the chats, you're not paying attention. America.ca slash chats. Are you uh, on Twitter still, Darren? A little bit? I'm on Twitter, yeah. yeah. a little bit. So Darren's on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. Graham's on Instagram. Just if you at me, I'll check it. Yeah. I don't go to, I, yeah. I'm trying not to do the timeline thing because Twitter is just a toxic cesspool. Yeah. That's why you got to be in the chats. America.ca slash chats. Uh, I think that's about it. Right on, Anything buddy. else? No, Any that's other? it. No, look, now that's a great chat with Mark. Great chat with Mark. We hope you enjoy it. It's fantastic. Enjoy it. And uh, check out all Mark's stuff. Buy his book. And watch out for those aggregores. We've got a special episode tonight. We've got Mark Stavish with us. He's uh, an authority on Western spiritual traditions. He's authored like 26 books. The one I read and I loved was Egregores. I've been wanting to talk to him for a while on that. 
And he's also the founder and director of the Institute of Hermetic Studies. And uh, yeah, I'd really like to <clears throat> thank you for coming on and, and joining us for some for some time here, Mark. Really loved your book, and I can't wait to chat about it. Great. Well, thank you very much for the invitation, and uh, it's nice to be here, and I'm glad to hear that you liked it. It seems that uh, many people did as well. That's good. Yeah, I forgot to mention the subtitle, which is The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny. It's a pretty heavy subtitle. Uh... <laughs> well, that's, many people don't. It's funny. You know, when you write a book, uh, you give it a you have to do an outline to get a sense of a beginning and middle and end. And, and, and I give it a title and I have to give it a working title to keep on track. And when we were working on this one, that was the working title. And and when it came time for marketing, you know, dealing with the marketing people, I say, well, well, how should we market it? You know, what should we have as a subtitle? And while it was terribly boring as a subtitle, it is the best one we could come up with that really told everyone, this is what the book's about. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. It, it's almost an anti-egregore title. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, I heard, I heard you on Aeon Bytes, uh, uh, last summer, I think it was actually it was on my birthday last summer. And, and I, I thought, oh man, I'd love to, we'd love to talk to, to Mark about his book, Egregores. And so I waited, I didn't want to read it until we had you booked. July 11th, uh, July 11th. Yeah. Hey. And, uh, and I, and I, and it's so interesting because of what's happening in the world and you've written this book on egregores and it was, there's not a lot of books on egregores out there. And, and I, you know, my questions would have, would have sort of led down a path towards some of the mass influences that we have in our life right now. And then look what's going on in the world. So it's, it's hard not to like, I don't want to jump in there right now, but I, I can't wait to get your take on like, you know, the, the egregores in the current state of affairs in a way. Oh, sure. You, you, as, as I said, you ask, I'll, I'll say what I know. And if I don't know, I'll, I'll just let you know that. All right. I, st I, th I always thought egregores was like a mass mind manifested tulpa, like a tulpa, but like kind of a, maybe even unconscious from, from people, but it's kind of more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah. There's really two answers to that. And, and they're not necessarily contradictory. The first one is just that it's kind of a collective awareness that generates from a group, either intentionally or unintentionally. And all you have to do is, I mean, it's really a social control mechanism to steal Jacques Vallée's phrase. Just keep that in, in, in mind and everything becomes clear. It's a social control mechanism. So, you know, I just remember back to junior high, those wretched days in a hell realm. And uh, you'll understand what it was like because you had all these different cliques. And these cliques had their own mode of thinking, behaving, and acting. Now, not everyone was cookie cutter, but there was commonalities. And often we forget we see the same thing in various professions. I was in human services for many years. I dealt with a lot of social workers. I dealt with a lot of cops, uh, a lot of emergency personnel. And the reality is they all had a lot of things in common in each of those professions. And I learned to deal with or talk to those different types of personalities and assumptions that would exist within each of those professions. Now, not everybody had them, but enough of them did. It's the same thing with your cliques in junior high. Not everybody in that clique may have had all of the same assumptions, but they had enough of them, otherwise they wouldn't be there. So that you have that aspect of it, where it's a self-generating entity, or, or is in, generated intentionally when you create a group. Like we're going to be the um, the parent teachers association of your kid's high school. Well, that parent teachers association has a specific function and purpose. 
you know, just as the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts or whatever else, that group has a specific purpose. Now, the other aspect is one in which it is more esoteric, as we will. And that is where you actually connect to some invisible intelligence or intelligences on a psychic or metaphysical dimension. And remember, these are not contradictory. I mean, just because you don't believe that your Boy Scout group connects to something on the invisible doesn't mean it doesn't. But it doesn't mean it's intentionally there either, that you went through the purpose of saying, you know, we want our PTA to connect to the great PTA uh, Egregorian archetype and be the best PTA there is. You know, so we're kind of joking about it, but I want that to be clear. All egregores are thought forms. Not all thought forms are egregores. Oh, okay. So, and, and they're created, right? Whether sub, subconsciously or intentionally, they're... Correct. It's, it's created. Correct. Yeah. Are some better than others? So if you have like, um, you know, maybe... Uh, a group of people that's more centered on love and community and kind of making the world a better place versus say a group of hoodlums that are out stealing wallets. Would they be, would the egregores be different? Oh, very much so. And I think, uh, you know, you know, David Metcalf has done a lot of great research on this with, within regards to Santa Marta and the different views on it. So there you have conflicting notions within a single egregore. But we also have to understand something very clear here, and that is, and this is really very difficult for many people to understand, uh, the values of the invisible are not your values. And that, you know, what we consider important, uh, the different beings or intelligences that we contact and the invisible may not. So when we say better, it's all relative. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard because uh, it's what is best for me on my journey. You know, what is beneficial for me on my path of awakening uh, is definitely a different egregore that I may get into. Uh, they like to say that all paths lead to Rome and all, all paths lead to God or some nonsense like that. Uh, and that very well may be true in a very, uh, you know, lengthy route. So, you know, if you have an egregore like National Socialism or Japanese imperialism or communism or Bolshevism uh, or all those things, and you've experienced those, and, you know, fewer and fewer people have, so they don't really understand what they were like, uh, or just any of the totalitarian regimes that might exist around the world today, you know, those egregores are very powerful and very oppressive. And, uh, but what, why do they exist and how do they fit in there is often the question people wonder you know, if the universe is all good and, you know, light and love, how, how does that, something like that get to exist? Yeah, I was kind of, Darren kind of jumped on one of my favorite questions I was going to ask here is about, but instead of wording it like better, because that's more subjective, are they more powerful if they're in a state of like, let's say authenticity and love as opposed to deception? Like, like is, is the, you know, is, is the mainstream media lies propagating a, a negative or not a negative, but a more powerful or less powerful egregore than let's say people, you know, mass meditating in, in love? Yeah. Well, most of the people who mass meditate in love are, are, aren't, I mean, it's, it's a very, you know, nice and pleasant feeling, but I doubt whether a whole lot is generated by it. Now, there may be some exceptions to that. Oh, that's interesting. And I, 
and, and, I, and I'm open to that. I really am. Because one of the problems that we run into is that when things are going well, I mean, uh, harmoniously, we don't notice it. We tend only to notice it when things get bumpy. So to kind of paraphrase Eliphas Levy here, uh, you know, evil's easier to notice. Ah, yeah, yeah. Because by its very nature, it's disruptive and chaotic. But that doesn't mean all disruption and chaos is evil either. So this is where we get into the, those troubles uh, <laughs> of the groups that we're with. Yeah. You know, um, I think you have to look at what is the outcome. You know, what is the outcome at the end for the group? What's its purpose at the end? Uh, I was uh, interviewing uh, Peter Mark Adams, uh, I think who you know from his book, The Game of Saturn and Mystai. And uh, we were talking a little bit about that, that the, you know, the, the religious or spiritual practices of a ruler in an ancient time uh, in many ways would be very different from what we would think of as an acceptable spiritual practice today. Yeah. Because they were, they had to fight wars. Yeah. 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 They're all, all, uh, it seems like almost always uh, through time there was wars to deal with, you know? So how did you make those decisions, you know, whether to, you know, be offensive or defensive, and how do you incorporate that into your spiritual, spiritual teachings? You know, as a as a king, yeah, it's something meaningful. So it's very difficult to get. This is where it gets very tricky very fast. So you know, when when people are involved in an egregore, it's usually not that dramatic. Although there are examples, again, uh, organized crime units uh, of any size or shape, uh, various street gangs. These have very potent and powerful egregores. Okay, but they know their outcomes. They know their ends. Right. Uh, churches have very powerful egregores. Uh, sometimes a church in a uh, in various communities can have very powerful influences, you know, in, in different ways. So, I think if we're going to ask ourselves which is more potent or powerful, it really is going to come down to the amount of energy generated, the amount of sheer conviction. The energy or the food, if you will, of, of an egregore is emotion. So if someone is really, truly in a state of, uh, we'll say, bliss and harmony and love, that's going to generate a very potent, harmonizing field. You know, if someone is in a, a different state, uh, you know, aggressive, uh, we'll say virtues versus vices, to put it very simply, you know, greed, selfishness, lust, domination, violence, all of those things, that's going to create a powerful field too. And, and you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to step up. If you're, if you want to think of yourself as a, a warrior of light, <laughs> well, guess what? You're going to have to really step up your game to counter that. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's finally making sense to me. It's I'm picturing it in a different way where if you're, if you're sort of in a lo this love and acceptance and freedom aspect, there's, there's less of a disruption or maybe there's less of a, an egregore. Whereas if you're, if you're, uh, sort of propagating disruption and, and, uh, more of a control then it would create, it could create more a powerful one. Does that sort of make sense or? Yeah. In many ways it does. And a very simple, uh, historical example of that is, uh, Stalin was refer, you know, uh, responded to a criticism by the Vatican as saying, and how many tanks does the Pope have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. How many tanks does the Pope have? Zero? I, I don't think he, he could rally a few tanks. <laughs> well, 
I think uh, at that time, you know, given that that circumstance, that's the point. You can morally condemn me all you want, but your words are empty. And and that's the nature of psychic and spiritual practices too. How do we undertake them in a manner that generates sufficient energy? So if as an individual I am unable to generate sufficient energy, we have of course the invocation of the fundamental premise of the egregore, that which one alone cannot do, many can. So it's a variation of that uh, many hands lighten the load. Uh, so if I bring enough people together for the same purpose and the same intentions and we stay focused on that, that generates uh, a psychic force that can have a, a significant impact. Hmm. Yeah. But it needs to be sustained. These things, are, these things need to be sustained. So the egregore of Coca-Cola or McDonald's is pretty easy to sustain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's addicting. I mean, it's... Yeah. You know. Huh. So you have some great chapters in your book about different uh, examples through history. And and uh, also want to talk about how to release ourselves from egregores. I mean, whether intentional or, or subconscious, like even negative work environments and stuff like that. Like we get wrapped up in, you know, the nine to five job or whatever. Is there any advice for, I mean, I guess we could get into that later, but we might as well touch on it now. Um, <clears throat> for people that are find themselves wrapped up in Negative egregores. I mean, you know that there's, you know, ten years I got behind you, and uh, no one told you where to run. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah, that's that's a tricky one because what happens is, um, I always say, you know, look at the results. You know, if you join a group, and and for the most part, when I talk about egregores, we're dealing mostly with religious and philosophical or political groups because they deal with ideas, and that's where it's easiest to hook people in at. But if you join a, a spiritual group, whether it's a religion or a metaphysical group or an occult order or initiatic body of some kind or even a yoga studio or something or a, a, some retreat center that you like to go to, uh, make sure that you're getting what you were told you would get. Remember why you joined and then ask yourself, did I pretty much get what I was told I would get? You know, are the, are the outcomes matching the promises? And that's the same thing with politics. You know, when you throw your life force and energies into these philosophical ideas, you know, to make the world a better place in whatever way you envision that. And all of them, remember, are utopian ideals. National socialism and communism are utopian ideals. Um, so are the outcomes matching what you were told? Mm. And many people don't do that because they don't really keep a checklist. Of, of what they want. It's like goal setting. It's really simple stuff. This isn't rocket science. You know, people want to achieve certain goals in their life, and often, since they never write them down, they don't even know if they achieve them or not. And then they look back and, well, they actually got what they wanted. Yeah, that's how you get trapped in those negative environments. Yeah. That's that's right. You, you have to stay awake. It's really about staying conscious and alert and, and observing what are the outcomes here. And, and in work, it's much more difficult because you're dependent upon this for your income. So you then have to look at your standard of living and ask yourself, is what I'm doing for what I'm getting worth it? Yeah, yeah. And this is increasingly difficult as, as costs go up for people. As, and, you know, it's the hidden inflation. You know, it's not necessarily inflation that you see in the index, but it's that 
county tax or that borough tax for an extra hundred and fifty. Oh, yeah, milk a year. and butter, milk and butter, all your essentials have gone up by four times over the last decade, yeah. you know. Yeah. Or or your health insurance or your kids' college suddenly is, you know, thirty thousand a year. Where did that suddenly come from? Yeah. So all of this is a, a way of saying, okay, what is my value structure? And that's what an egregore does. An egregore is an expression of a value structure. You know, when we say a social control mechanism, that's really what we're saying too. It's a value structure. How do we how do we see the universe and our place in it? How do we see our relationship to other people? What about advice for like us as a as a podcast where we have a, a this unintended community around it? There's a chat with chats. We have a chats with like seven or 800 people like do we like do social organizations like that is there anything you can do to make sure that your egregore doesn't get away from you oh well it's kind of tough yeah you know people ask that in a way i don't i don't think that's as much a problem with some of these smaller groups i think it's a problem with maybe the, the genre and let me explain uh people can get really caught up in not just an individual podcast but the whole podcast structure, the whole lifestyle of listening to endless amounts of podcasts uh, and thinking that somehow they're actually learning something, uh, when in fact it's an information titillation, it's not a spiritual practice. Interesting, and, so, yeah. and, and that's the benchmark, is, is what you're doing actually helping your practice? Is it helping you unfold, that is, have self realization self-awareness and is it helping you to act on that or self-actualization okay because if it's not uh then you need to reevaluate it and look i do these podcasts because i like them i listen to them uh it's just everything is about you know moderation and goals yeah yeah that makes sense i mean you do get you do get addicted to the new the new learning the new information there's something you know something special almost like it's it's gamified in a way you know is there any for that any benefit to supporting the podcast that would help the egregore? I'm a firm believer in the support. That is your karma yoga to uh, support the uh, various things that help are helpful to you. Just don't spread yourself too thin. You know, it's, it's really about just making conscious decisions, conscious choices. Yeah. See, because a, a social control mechanism, the choices are made almost for you after you come in. It's unconscious okay. because it's a value structure. Yeah. Now, this is really important because in, and I didn't know this when I wrote the book, I wish I had, uh, in 1980, 82, I think it was, somewhere in there, uh, a book was written called, um, the what is it, The Futures of Man, uh, and something along that line, and it came out of Stanford Research Institute, the same folks who were doing uh, psychic research, UFO research, uh, uh, what else, uh, early internet computer research. And in this book, it stated very clearly uh, several things. One is the notion of passive telepathy. I thought that was fascinating. A lot of time was spent on the idea of passive telepathy as as a function. But also that if people share the same values, they will act in a similar fashion in similar situations to the point where it will look as if there's a conspiracy taking place. Wow. That is a, you know, well, that just makes sense. If you share the same values, you look at the universe the same way, you're going to come to the same conclusions. It's all because it's a form of programming. 
So, so they might not be connected physically as the conspiracy might make you think, but they're actually just acting in the same way because they have the same belief system and the same value system. Right. Yeah. Hey, look, yeah. my, my kid's first semester of college, business major, freshman year, I paid for a one-credit class on business ethics and a three-credit class on, what was it, uh, some kind of a social justice political correctness course. Gender studies? So, yeah, well, it was all-encompassing. It was a general overview. So there you have it. Which one was more important to them? We know right off the bat. Right. Three credits versus one. Right, right. Now, what was the purpose of that? To engender, no pun intended, an attitude, a value structure, so that in certain circumstances, all of these people, through various peer pressures and in, in, in instruction, I hesitate to say indoctrination, but in some ways it is that, will act accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, well, you do talk about that in your book. You address the political correctness part of that. Or maybe I heard yeah, you on, yeah. Right, because it has no humor. I mean, it's, 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 I always say it's satanic because it's humorless. I mean, that's how you know evil. Evil's humorless. Huh. Evil, yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. If hey, you, can't you can't laugh once in a while if it's said something, it's no good. Yeah, I mean, it, it knows sarcasm, and it knows uh, uh, kind of a, what would be, be something else, maybe a, a subtle sense of uh, arrogance to its humor, but there's no self-effacing humor. So I mean, is that I, is that why people say if if you if you come across something evil or if you're scared if you use humor like humor humor, you know, like even like the even like the Scooby Doo song or whatever it's going to dissipate it. Well, it'll probably irritate it first, so you better stand your ground. <laughs> you know, it's it's not that simple. Uh, but yeah, if it's a okay, okay, you know, patience, patience, and a good tune. Oh, <laughs> Because that's how you people who take themselves too seriously are not people who um, are within a framework that we would actually call spiritual. Wow. Or or self-actualizing. Because they have a very sense, they have a very strong sense of I-ness, what the I-ness is. And we all have an I-ness. We all have ego. That's fine. And but and when you enter into an egregore, your I-ness identifies with the values of that group. Okay. It's the I am statement. I am and whatever comes after it. But when you see someone who is like a Stalin uh, or uh, someone like that or, or you know, who is this, uh, the head of North Korea, um, I mean, you, you see the strained, the strained smiles on all of everyone around him. I mean, they're, they're terrified of getting, you know, machine gunned or, or something. You know, the, the notion is there, there's no sense of humor. Everything is very serious. That's funny because that's what you sort of see on social media today. I mean, there's kind of a humorous corner, but for the most part, none of these motherfuckers can take a joke. I mean, everything that gets said is an outrage. It's like, it's disgusting. Well, that's a manipulation. You know, the, the, if you look at the way the, the headlines are done on all of the, uh, all of the social media sites, but also increasingly on the newspapers and, and for those who may even look at them uh, online, is it's a hook. It's a negative hook. So, of course, it's what you don't know. Well, how do you know what I don't know? You know, but what you don't know. 
things you need to know, uh, outraged, uh, what else? Some other, you know, all these phrases, these words are about, they're emotionally engaging from the beginning. Destroyed. It's an, it's destroyed, yeah, it was destroyed. Is Everything was uh, about some kind of emotional engagement that takes the reader or the observer and already tells them, already hooks in what their feelings should be about what they're about to read. I mean, that's a, that's that's we call that hypnotic induction. And does something become more? Does like it does is hypnotic induction easier or more prevalent if there's a more powerful aggregate behind it? Yes, because by its very nature, it's unconscious. It's habituated. It's habit forming. It's just like that uh, wonderful smell on a late spring day when you're driving down the street and you've got the windows down and the sun is out. It's a great day and you can smell that burger coming off the grill because the guys at Burger King open the stacks and the smoke is coming out and you can smell that hamburger and that you not only that you can taste it now and you're saying a bacon cheeseburger is where it's at now as i did that how many of you can taste a bacon cheeseburger right now oh yeah yeah i did yeah right yeah you see that now let's take that and amplify that by whatever whatever number pick a number how many times a day and instead of it being a bacon cheeseburger it's how many times a day you see the word outraged destroyed bombed Think of all the negative notions that it's death by a thousand cuts. Just as getting healthy from some things is, well, we can call that life by a thousand whatever sutures, maybe. Uh, so, well, and the problem I have with that is that, uh, that when you look at some of those headlines, they're outright they're outright lies. I mean, you go into the article and there's nothing there. I mean, at the very end, you, you realize that. It wasn't even what the headline said. I mean, they can just outright lie to you about it. I mean, it would be fine if so-and-so did destroy so-and-so, but, I mean, that's that's kind of more of a descriptive headline that'll suck you in. But it's those other ones that are just complete bullshit that gets me. Well, what it creates is distrust. Uh, it's, uh, if you notice, almost everything that's done, and, and even within our field, and we're assuming that most of the people listening to this have some interest in occultism and esotericism, uh, it, it violates the three fundamental principles of clear thinking and clear communication. Huh. And that is it uh, goes to extremes, often creating an either-or dynamic. Rarely do you encounter that. It uh, emotionalizes and it personalizes. Hmm. These are the th what you don't know about CIA cover-up of UFOs. Yeah. What you need to know, yeah. that's, you see, these, it's all personalized and emotionalized, and it's directing you already. That's that in a way, and that's the same thing that happens with an egregore, uh, except maybe in a, in a political egregore or in a religious or a cult one, the, the mantra, the, the chanted mantra or spell is something different, you know. Make America great again. It can, yeah, it can be make America great again. It can be hope and change. And, and often what it is, is it's something, uh, it has to be easy to remember and, and moderately ambiguous. Hmm. Moderately ambiguous because that way you fill in the blank about what that hope and change is going to be, what that greatness is going to be.
Ooh, so well, this rolls into like a persuasion side of things, even. It's all persuasion. It always is. It's nothing but that. I mean, you even get into Napoleon Hill in, the, in your book. I was thinking about you, Darren, because you're, you're thinking about me. Yeah, That's sweet. Yeah, because it gets into a little bit of new thought as well, right? But it's it's all about the, the persuasion because it's identification. You know, new thought is fundamentally based around the notion of I. What is I, and then what comes after I am. You know, so what is I? What am I identifying with? That we call that ego. I am. You know, to to literally to identify with. So, what we you join your occult group and suddenly your entire life is focused around that. Uh, you're 16 and your whole life is focused around whatever the music industry is telling you it should be focused around. Okay, but you see you see that with other people. I mean, they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and you know, guys, I'm I'm glad you're thrilled, but you know the. I really don't think Ozzy Osbourne cares. <laughs> you know, I really don't think the professional sports players care. Yeah, and this is kind of what I said about what do you get out of it for the energy you put into it? You know, I, I jokingly say I watch uh, part of one football game a year. It's usually the last half of the Super Bowl because, in theory, that should be a total distillation of the best football ever for an entire season, right? It all should be right there, right? So that's my kid likes to watch. That's what we'll watch. <laughs> but, you know, and I, and I like watching hockey live. Hockey live is great if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's just spectacular violence on ice. I mean, it's just, it's just great. But do I care about these guys and their scores? Or their names, or their no, I don't care. I'm there to watch the play and have some entertainment. The same with actors and singers. I know a few, but not a lot. And the few I know, I know personally, and I care about their careers. But those I don't, I don't care otherwise because they're not reading. I always say, you know, I don't think the NFL is reading what I publish. Therefore, I don't see a, a tremendous amount of reason to throw my life force and limited time and energy into being absorbed into someone else's career. And that's part of what an egregore does. It absorbs you into an identification uh, that may or may not benefit you. Like Democrat, Republican, Libertarian. And that, that benefit, again, that benefits you a little bit. Maybe if you're involved on a local level in things and it helps you to begin to know where to look if you're looking at things in terms of policies and, and things, uh, procedures, but if you hold to it exclusively, then it doesn't benefit you at all. And I, and I know people who will go in and they'll vote, you know, straight party ticket. They won't even think about the, the, the possible alternatives. And I had this discussion with someone locally who was, uh, involved in the democratic party in our County. And I said, the problem is, I said, you're an, uh, an ideologue. You won't even consider any other possibilities. So how can I believe anything you say? Because you clearly haven't thought about anything else. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost like in this brave new world we're in with all these things vying for our attention. I mean, you can start to look at all those different things as aggregores. You know, you've got a social media aggregore. You've got a political aggregore. You've got a sports team aggregore. You've got a a fill in the blank and they're all sort of like stealing bits of your identity so that there's not any of you left. And it kind of just leaves an empty shell. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, that that's really, that's really what it can be. 
And that's why we see the phrase, and I'm trying to think, uh, was it Gurdjieff, uh, I believe, who, you know, the phrase, you know, food for the gods. Now, we, we like to believe that the universe has these quaint middle-class Protestant values, but it doesn't. And, you know, uh, that's a, really a, a false notion that if you, it's a quaint enlightenment notion, I believe John Michael Greer called it, you know, that if you, you give people the proper information, they'll make the right choices. I mean, I believe that for the longest time because I was fundamentally around middle class people. You know, then when I worked in housing and spent a lot of time with drug addicts and violent types and ended up knowing a whole more about law enforcement than, uh, I probably would have cared to have and what goes on for real. Um, you realize that there's people out there that have a very different value structure than you do. And, and thank God there are prisons. So uh, how, how do you deal with that in terms of your spiritual life? And I say that as the Institute for Medic Studies has a prison outreach program. You know, we send books to guys in jail. Okay. So it's not as if we write them off. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, I, yeah. There's but there's, a, there's, bad, there's bad people out there. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, you can't there's, just there's, let there's, everybody out running around doing whatever they want. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, I mean, that's where freedom and your right to protect your property comes from. I mean, com, comes in, right? I mean, we, <clears throat> we've talked about the crime in some of these uh, urban areas now where just, you don't, you, you don't even feel safe anymore and they don't do anything about the crime. I mean, they're, anything under 1500 bucks and they just let it go. Well, what's that, what's that creating? Right. I mean, I, I, I can't even, my bike's not safe locked up out in the backyard anymore. My car's not safe out in the front like this. What, uh, you know? Well, and that's a egregore of the neighborhood, if you want to call it that. So that, that has a cultural value, uh, shared values. What are the shared values of the people in the neighborhood? You know, well, yeah, or, or or couldn't it be also more about the what's forcing the political uh, the tolerance level at the, at the political level seems to be out of whack. Like, there, isn't there some egregore around around that? Yes, yes. But remember, it's all all politics is local, right? Right. Okay. All all occultism is local, right? You know, you your occult structure. This idea that you know we're going to have esoteric communities virtually online, you know, is, is nonsense. I mean, this kind of communication that we're having right now is really helpful and very beneficial for getting ideas across and preserving ideas, but it's not a spiritual practice. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a tradition. It's not continuity. And it's not a replacement for real people and real interaction. That's it. It's not, it's not. You, that the physical proximity creates a dynamic interaction energetically uh, that cannot be replaced by the screen, as people are now experiencing with the having to, you know, talk to people through their non-filtering masks, through uh, shower curtains or plastic barriers as they hand things back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I I was talking to uh, Craig Williams uh, in well. Geez, what was it? it was for uh, an interview a few weeks ago, and I think it's on his website or his blog now. You can go listen to it. And, and we said, you know, this coronavirus is fascinating because it's almost like it's a direct attack on the heart chakra. Hmm. 
and I and I don't and I don't use those terms loosely, by the way, because what I meant specifically by that is within tradition, the heart chakra within uh, the tantras, the Indian tantras, has to do with uh, not not just human relationships, but uh, sensation and contact, physical touch. So how we connect with people and things, you know, so all of that is almost being interfered with or filtered, you know, broken down on many levels that human connection. Yeah. Plus if you're in fear, your heart is not resonating like it would if you're in gratitude or love. I mean, if, if it really does affect your physiology. Very much so. However, that said, I also say that, you know, we, over the last 20 years, um, Various esoteric groups, uh, we've seen uh, a decline in many areas, and there are, there are some areas that we've seen an increase. But that whole notion of gratitude, uh, and particularly the necessity of purity, what does it mean to have ritual purity? What does it mean to do confession? What does it mean to uh, look at yourself and do uh, some introspection about what you need to uh, change? Okay, confession of sins and errors, okay, to improve your life, you know, because you can't just keep pouring, you know, new wine into old wineskins and expect there not to be a problem. Okay, uh, those notions that are put forth were, are often heavily rejected by the occult community. They don't see any need for that. You know, so, I'll just do more ritual. Wow. So what, what would be an example of some that are that are. Uh, lessening or not growing and some that are growing somewhat like uh, the occult organizations or esoteric organizations. Well, I, you know, I don't like to, to bring up examples because, but I'll do the easy ones. So as not to, to provoke any, any, uh, any problems. You just look at what happened within the golden dawn, you know, the, the, the terrible uh, flame wars that took place for 20 years uh, you look at the OTO, which, uh, and of course, I'm not a member of any of these groups, you know, over the last five years, uh, and the tremendous amount of infighting that just, I mean, it was always problematic for them, but it just exacerbated beyond any reasonable level, you know, within their, their membership and leadership. Uh, you can look at uh, AMWORK, uh, which was at one time the largest organization in the world in, in 1990. I, I just finished an interview with uh, their former grand treasurer, you know, from that time. And you look at how um, there was a period of time when they were being very legalistic, trying to almost close down any organization that used the term Rosicrucian, trying right. to corner the market on it. I think they pulled back on that quite a bit. Yeah. I think they realized that was bad form. But that kind of nonsense is is what I'm referring to that has... Uh, um, Moved in. We also see the uh, the market for talismanic publishing. Right. I mean that in of itself is a fantastic uh, egregore. You know, so you you know, it, uh, talismanic publishing is not an excuse for practice. <laughs> give give people an example about about what you mean by that. Of what talismanic pu yeah, publishing? Yeah. Just, just these. I mean, these. Some of them are exquisite, exquisite publications. <laughs> Hot, very expensive books that are exquisitely made. They are truly collectible items. The question is, is the content of value? Often it is, and so often it isn't. It depends on who you get and, and where you get it from. 
and they become uh, a kind of high-end collectible item. Uh, the question is, is the material inside something that is practical and will be a benefit to you? Is this something you can practice? Yeah. And, and have the people themselves practiced. I mean, it's amazing how many people, even within uh, a lot of them, I will not mention their names, but well-known authors, um, you know, don't really have a practice. Right. And you can see they don't have a practice because they tend to go for whatever is fashionable at the moment, trying to position themselves as as being a, a culture, as right. we call it. <laughs> and the a culture is an egregore. Because you're concerned about the occult as a fashion statement rather than as, what is this as a spiritual practice? Right, right. What about the Freemasons? What about them? Uh, just uh, cycle, what cycle are they on? Like, are they, you know, I, we've, we've had quite a few on the show. Darren just became one himself. Um, we're, you know, it seems to me like it's back uh, back on the on the interest. The interest level is back up for people joining to learn deeper things you know well good luck with that uh i mean that's that's a mixed uh, uh problem there because you know within anglo-saxon masonry uh it, you know it's little more than a, a charitable organization riding on past money and i know many people who would agree to that uh and the notion of esotericism within masonry particularly uh regular masonry is 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 something not accepted by regular masons themselves now there are exceptions to that you know here in what is would fall under the, the northern jurisdiction of scottish right those uh those states which fall under it uh you have almost no notion of esotericism within scottish right even though it's clearly mentioned in the rituals those of you who fall under the glorious southern jurisdiction which are the hoyas's uh, I think one of the is one of the head honchos. Uh, you see a tremendous amount of spectacular uh, esotericism within uh, within masonry. I mean, I, I gave a presentation at a, a Masonic body a little over a year ago, and it was an, a, a, it was to present a project. So it was all well, man. These guys must have been. They were everyone there was the head of a body, at least one body, and uh, I had a fellow not even understand the difference between northern and southern jurisdiction and and that may mean nothing to your listeners but it's a big deal and uh the point is that you have the traditional observance lodge system which is part of the masonic renewal movement which started maybe i don't know 10 15 years ago and the traditional observance lodges became unstoppable uh, it was just clear that they were going to happen, and a lot of grandmasters have had to just allow them. Now they try to control them. They don't want too many of them. But there is where you see a lot of men who are deeply interested in esotericism in various ways. Um, but in terms of practice, masonry doesn't offer that. It doesn't offer a practice. So you can get a lot of good education and a lot of good ideas within those bodies or even in the educational system. The, the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge, which I spoke at, is a spectacular body. I, I can't say enough about their training course, but you're not going to get a practice out of it. And I think that, that needs to be made clear. What's the difference between a tulpa and an egregore? Is a tulpa like, a, are they like cousins? Are they part of the same family? Is like a tulpa like a personal egregore? How's that? Is, is there any relation? Again, uh, 
both are thought forms. But an egregore is going to be made up of uh, multiple thought forms and possible intelligences and entities. It's like a corporation. It's like a hierarchy. So it's like an egregore is a, a group of tulpas is called an egregore? You could you could think of it that way. You could think of it in that way. But they're not all artificially generated. It's going to be, you know, you're, you belong to several egregores. You know, your, your country, your family, your school that you graduate from. Now, some of them are strong, some of them are weak. Whereas a tulpa is a thought form that is specifically generated consciously for a purpose. And I think within Western occultism, maybe the best example would be the notion of an artificial elemental that you see mentioned in some of the writings. I think uh, Donald Michael Craig, I think, discusses it in his book, Modern Magic. And, and I think you see some notions of it in some of the Arm Solace material. And most of the Golden Dawn or Dawn-related groups go over that uh, to some degree. I wonder if you could get enough tulpas together if they could take down an egregore. <laughs> if God's so powerful, can he create something that even he can't lift, right? That's right. Uh, I, I don't I don't know about that. I mean, I think when we when we talk about at that point, we're looking at a a battle of the egregores, a battle of the thought forms. And um This was briefly mentioned, and I, I'm trying to, in the book, I believe it was uh, Sadir wrote, uh, the French occultist uh, Paul Sadir, in his book Initiation. And uh, I think Gareth Knight did a translation of it, which is pretty good. And um, Munisadu did an earlier translation of it. And in that, we hear really the term egregore, but also the notion of how nations have egregores. And how they can often appear like in their national symbols, and that how these wars between them take place on the psychic or spiritual level before they take place on the physical level. And that those who have some vision of awareness or clairvoyance, perception, can begin to perceive that. And uh, sometimes that perception is conscious, sometimes in a flash, sometimes it's just unconscious in the sense of a notion. Does are egregores? Is there any? Would there any be sort of any relation between egregores and zeitgeists? Uh, I think the term zeitgeist means the spirit of the age, and you would say yes, the spirit of the age is, could, in some way, be a broader egregore, because. Uh, a zeitgeist for would be defined in many ways by astrological cycles, you know, and those astrological cycles would be vast. So, generally speaking, um, so what is the spirit of a generation, if you will? What is the sense of belonging to Generation X, Generation Z, Generation fill in the blank? What is that notion? And if you notice that those notions have things that are in common, certain social experiences that are in common. So, yes, we could say that that is in, in, a, in, in part an egregore. What about one-on-one -on -one relationships, marriages, partnerships, uh, family units, things like that? Family units, yes. One-on-one -on -one relationships, not so much. That's more of what we would call a thought form. But when it starts reaching out to uh, multiple people, that's when that's when we see those that leveling factor take place. 
what is that leveling factor of of shared values? So you always have to remind yourself of what is the leveling factor of shared values? That's the social control mechanism, whatever those values are. Hmm. So what what do you what are your thoughts in the current state of things with like writing this book comes out? Uh, <clears throat> like a year or so, or so before this, like, would you have written, what would you have written about the current events in your, in your book? If you were to, you know, if you hadn't written it yet, or what, what are your thoughts about the current state as in terms of egregores? I mean, it seems like it's being split. Like it's a little different up here in Canada, but uh, down there in the States, it really feels like it's this whole, th- this whole virus is polarizing people uh, even more. So, I mean, is that because, is that the, the, the 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 battle of the spiritual egregores ahead of uh, some other war to come. I I think so, and I mean, I wrote about this fifteen years ago. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this this isn't like new stuff. I mean, I've been writing about this for fifteen twenty years. No, but the new part of it is is the overt uh, control and and symbolism that seems to be happening. I, from, I wrote from, about that from the fish- state. Yeah. I wrote about that 15 years ago. Yeah. Occultists didn't want to believe it. Really, eh? Oh, well, I find it ironic that occultists are so uh, quick to condemn conspiracy theories. Right. When the, ver- when the very definition of occultism is a conspiracy with the universe on yeah. some level. Yeah. Uh, let me put, be very clear on this. Uh, again, a lot of conspiracy theories are are... They're a fantasy, okay? Um, you know, a stereotype is the poor man's archetype. Okay, you, you see things, you see behaviors, you not, you look for patterns, and you, you put together a caricature, if you will, of things. Yeah. Okay, what, what is my, my typical Canadian? Okay, well, you know, my typical Canadian is not going to be typical, but if there wasn't certain things in, in common... Uh, you know, then jokes about them wouldn't be funny because there'd be no place to hook into. <laughs> there'd be no, there'd be no way for the joke to be funny because there wouldn't be any common ground to meet. Um, so you, you, you look at this and, uh, you look at the behaviors that are taking place and these behaviors that we see are very polarizing and very divisive. So as I told my wife, I said, who is a a microbiologist, I said, uh, if you want to know the seed, look at the fruit. If you want to know the fruit, look at the seed. This is just karma 101, cause and effect. So when I look at what is happening around us, uh, as I said to one fellow with uh, retired uh, retired Homeland Security, I said, I don't know what's more frightening. I said, uh, believing that uh, this is a conspiracy, uh, that people put this all together and knew that this was going to be the outcome, or the possibility that they didn't. Yeah, That's, I was thinking that the other day. I was like, well, I don't know what's and, worse. Right. And, and that goes back to the notion of mental uh, value structures. The conspiracy doesn't have to be people sitting around a table. It just has to do what are the values of what people consider possible right, or important. Right. Um, it might be. Means, it might be scarier if it's incompetence. I mean, well, in many ways, it is. 
Uh, it is scary if it's incompetence, and, and I think in many ways it is, but it also means that people have to step up and not just complain about it. And occultists, you know, the the notion is that, look, and this is where we see the breakdown and the destruction of occultism internally, uh, is one hand, it seeks to be respected by the academic community. Uh, so it has all these wonderful academic publications and areas of study that happened over the last 20, 50, 20 years that didn't exist 40 years ago, didn't exist 30 years ago. You know, people really have no idea how spoiled they are when it comes to this stuff and availability. They're just total culture shift in what's happened. And I said, this isn't going to go on forever. This availability of this information won't go on forever. It's like it can't. The golden age of the internet kind of is what you're thinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it just, it's not good because at some point it because it requires a great deal of resources to happen and take place. Uh, so you look at the there's you look at the arc of things and at some point this situation was going to happen. It was just a matter of the details. So now we have a situation in which we're seeing massive amounts of civil liberties being stripped away piece by piece, piece by piece, where we see a giant uh, intelligence apparatus surrounding the globe. Okay. And of course it has various players. You know, it's not unified, it's not homogenous yet, but it is looking at a variety of players, all seeking to control us in some fashion. And it doesn't even hide it anymore. Yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at, the overtness of it, yeah. It doesn't hide it and people don't care. So, you know, I like to rephrase this question because it's the, the real shock question. People say, you know, you've got to have something worth fighting for. And I always say, well, what you're saying then is the real question is, what do you have that's worth killing for? Yeah. Because that's what you're saying when we say fighting for. What ideas do you hold to be so strong and so true and so vital and important that they are worth killing and dying for? Now, other people have them. And they create some pretty strong egregores with them. I would say, in general, most of the guys walking around pretending to be Knights Templars, they don't have them. Most of occultism, for that matter, going back to your question about, you know, world peace and all of that, you've got to generate some real juice to counter this. And I don't mean this this nonsense of witches getting together and cursing Trump as if that has some value. That's not what that's that's just foolishness. It takes serious, real occult training that most people won't do because it takes too much work. So what then happens is the zealots win because they've got more energy. See, again, the egregore is always about the energy. Who's got it and who doesn't? That's the power. Yeah, but that's still scary. The witch is uh, cursing. Yeah, damn well I should mean, be. It's, it's you know, it's like it's. Uh... It should scare you. That's the point. That's why I'm saying it. I'm not saying it to make you feel good or to make your listeners feel good. I'm saying it to scare you, to draw your attention to what's happening, and what the solutions are. And it requires real effort. So how do you build up that juice? You have to have a regular, dedicated practice. Yeah. You have to have discipline. 
See, we got mugged by Saturn. And Saturn is all about discipline. It's all about foundation and earth. You get up at the same time every day and you make your bed. And then you do your practice. And you discipline your body and you discipline your mind and you discipline your speech. Because it's thought, word, and deed, body, speech, and mind. And you discipline them. And in that, you'll get a focus and a power that allows you to solve your problems and to be a demonstrable leader that others will see. That's what it takes. That's interesting, and, yeah. But that, in doing so, you free yourself from the other egregores. Because now occultism isn't a fashion statement. Now occultism isn't about, uh, you know, how many shows I got to do this week to keep the sales up or whatever's going on. It's about telling people what's really going on and what they need to do to fix it. Because no one's going to come here and rescue you. No one is coming to the rescue. That's the other scary part. I mean, there may be, look at Jesus may be coming back. I haven't gotten that memo. Okay. Like the, 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 the Bodhisattva armor army out of Shambhala that may be coming down. But last I heard, they're still 400 years out. So I've seen that memo. Could be the big rock in the sky, you know, crashes. Yeah. Well, that's not a, that's not a rescue either. No, no, no. So to actually solve these problems in a manner that is generally beneficial for most people requires a tremendous amount of individual effort. What's step one? As I said, get out of bed, make it, and have a spiritual practice. And know that you are solely responsible for your life, regardless of what's happening around you. Uh. Yeah, that's really interesting. It it's it 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 makes sense to me that if you create that ability to solve your problems and to articulate the solutions, then I mean that's that is does have to be step one. Like if you're not taking care of yourself, then how can you even come up with the right answers? Well, and therein lies the rub. I mean, I I've been with a lot of spiritual groups for a while. Uh, you know, I've got over forty years in this, and. Uh, how many times have I not had people come to me about some kind of spiritual community? And I said, okay, well, first of all, here's the deal. Um, we're going to do that. Uh, who else is on board? Okay. Now, how much money do they bring to the table? Well, what do you mean? Well, you need to buy land. You need to buy your house. You've got to have a buy-in, buy-out problem or, or, or program so people can enter and leave. I mean, uh, you want to build a community. It takes a lot of work and money. What do you bring to the table? They bring Jack. Yeah. Because what they want is they want an escape. And that's, again, when occultism, spirituality, whether it's Tibetan Buddhism or yoga or, or any of this stuff or the, uh, the, the wonderful people following all the dark arts, this becomes an escape, uh, an illusion. That's the egregore. Because it takes their time and their energy and resources but gives them very little in return. So, but the discipline to free yourself from the egregore is exactly what I said. And there are good ones, too. But understand, you, you can also develop a relationship with egregores where you can enter into them out of them, just as you can enter into and out of relationships with people. There are some people uh, I enjoy a great deal, but only in small doses. Yeah, yeah. 
so that so that discipline that practice will help you bring the awareness and the the other stuff you were talking about right from the start of this conversation about about being you know you got to be aware of all this before you can start separating yourself from the aggregor right yeah. and that your life is your responsibility no yeah, one like no that. one else yeah i like that take a responsibility part so at a higher level than this what's happening you know especially in in your in your country which is very polarized i think other countries are seem to be either following this lockstep a little bit more uh, together or not following it together. But in the States, it seems pretty polarized. Is, is it going to just get, uh, is it going to heighten until, I mean, I, I'm not asking for any like legit predictions here or anything like that, but from a, you know, from a spiritual standpoint as well, is it going to come to a head and then, and then it's just going to be falling under uh, just more and more control or. Well, I think the polarization is somewhat overrated. Okay. I have to say that. I mean, I hear a lot of people asking things that I said I don't see. Nobody no, else that's, that's good. sees. That's good, yeah. But there are problems, you know. And I have had to tell people. First of all, I wear a mask. I know for I know it doesn't do any good. I know that there's there's almost there's zero filtration value on the mask I have. Now, of course, we can say it keeps my contamination, if I may have it from someone else, or keeps me from touching my face. So it has some modest value. But in terms of actual filtration, it's zero. You know, and I have told a few people, I say, guys, listen, you know, uh, you really should wear a mask because they are given citations and just it's, it's just very helpful all around. See, and that's different. Telling someone politely that, you know, when you're dealing with them or facing them is, is how you do it. So it's how we treat people, too. But there's also... Um, Whenever we get into situations like this where there's the control, you know, people are seeing their livelihoods disappear. I mean, they just vaporized. Yeah. Jobs that aren't coming back. Yeah. Okay. These these restaurants that close, they're not coming back. No. These daycare centers, they're not coming back. Okay, so what do you do now with all of these unemployed people? I mean, how much how much money can you keep printing to put into the system to to try and keep it afloat? So there are serious issues that people know and recognize from this, for better or worse, or for different reasons. And, uh, you know, that's part of it. You know, it's, it's a big, it's, it's very important. It's a big issue. We're not going to say, we're really not going to know the full economic impact of this probably till the end of the year, beginning of next year. And I think astrologically, I'd have to check. Uh, we're probably not going to be out of the woods on this till uh, the end of 2021 early 2022 the thing to watch though is how as uh, relations with china that's the big thing we don't want to see that get too far out of hand i would argue it's already there oh well, yeah we're we're in a we're in a soft cold war with them you know that's pretty clear it's just a question of what happens after after that yeah does it get more flaccid or does it start to get hard yet I don't know I've been saying for a while that I think war with China is right around the corner hopefully not is there anything we can do to stop it or is the aggregor oh, sure. in control now well the aggregor is never in control in that sense the aggregor is only in control as long as it's fed what you do is you don't feed the aggregor and you have to be very focused about the notion of peaceful relations 
you know, I think one of the problems is when we deal with world peace and all of this stuff, uh, we have we forget that the world is a dynamic place, and that I don't think you're ever going to have world peace in the sense that everywhere at all times everything is just honky dory. <laughs> there's always going to be problems because people are different. So this notion that we can control everything is is itself destructive. We want to make sure though that what happens is is that we have enough. Uh, we'll say balance with places like China or North Korea or wherever else there may be issues that it, that it doesn't get out of control and, and, and turn into a shooting match because the, the consequences of that are, are so significant and so far reaching uh, that we, it shouldn't scare us, but it should make us all the more want to reach in and recognize that point of resilience within ourselves which is the point of pure being, and that will bring harmony into our life. And as we bring harmony into our life, that will reach out into the people around us, and that will have a ripple effect. And that's where the egregores are shifted and changed. You know, it's really not unlike, you know, a- adding some uh, seasoning to the soup. You know, you can you can change a whole vat of soup with just a little bit of seasoning if you do it right. And it's the same way with group dynamics. Each one of us has the ability to shift a group dynamic in a positive direction. Now, maybe it won't last forever, but nothing does. All it needs to do is last for long enough at the right time in the right place to have a positive benefit for ourselves and our community and then maybe outward for the world. So it's almost like be the change. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, it's, it's, Hate to say it, but that's it. You, you've got it. That's just. I mean, I don't use those throwaway phrases because they've as as a as a as a mantra or invocation. They've they've lost their their power. They're so watered down. But that's the reality. You have to be exactly what you want others to be, what you want the world to be. You've got to embody it. But that's embodying it is the notion of personal change. I mean, that's what magic is about. You do assumption of the god form. That's embodying the powers of the deity, bringing it forth. You see that in Vajrayana, in the completion stages, you're embodying the powers that are within you. You're bringing forth uh, these powers and overcoming your narrow self-limitations. Spirituality is about overcoming fear. It's about overcoming inertia and gravity, ignorance and death. That's what it's about. So if your spiritual practice is helping you overcome fear, if your spiritual practice is helping you overcome ignorance, ignorance of yourself primarily, but others as well, if your spiritual practice is helping you overcome the inertia uh, that we would call sleep and death, then you have a, a, a genuine spiritual practice. It should be a little bit of danger to it, just a little bit. So what are some daily things you talk about, you know, starting right away, get up, make your bed, start your practice, you know, what, what are some, dig into a couple little things for people that, I mean, we've, I mean, we've talked about, you know, meditation on the show lots and all kinds of other kind of things like that. But what do you, what do you think? The first and foremost thing is, is there has to be a meditative process, a mental process. That's the key to it all. You know, the energies work in and through you. You know, my great uncle was involved in a variety of esoteric groups. He, he learned folk magic, German, uh, what's called even the, the Faustian black books, they're called, wow. you know, from his father. I learned it from him. In fact, if you look at Peterson's sixth and seventh books of Moses, I, I did the Jack and Blair for the back of that. 
Okay, so the, you you re, he he knew he was involved in the entire New Thought movement when it was the real deal. Okay, and in Rosicrucianism and Martinism and all of these things, the energies work in and through us. You have to purify yourself. You have to make confessions of your sins. What have you done wrong? Okay, and that can be a nightly review. You just look at the day and say, what did I do? What am I going to do better next tomorrow? And then you have to just do it. Now, we talk about the power of willpower. But will is just where all the parts of us are congruent. You know, use the NLP phrase. Magic is about bringing congruency to our action. Again, thought, word, and deed. Am I saying and acting and thinking in accordance with a single purpose that is at hand? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're a, a server in a restaurant and you're saying thank you very much, do you really mean it? If you're saying thank you to someone, do you really mean it? You know, this is the hard part. It's easy to do a ritual. Yeah. <laughs> the hard part is actually... Looking at yourself and saying, okay, for the next 24 hours, I will not use rough, coarse, or vulgar language. Because that's disruptive to my energies. That's disruptive to my psychic channels. Sounds like some Uh, deep step 10 work there. Yeah. For the next four hours, I will not eat four and a half hours before bed because that's disruptive to my sleep cycle. And that that interfects with dream yoga or dream practices. See, this is where the discipline comes in and, and where you, you then you have a practice that works anywhere, anytime, regardless of whether you've got your rainbow wand or, or your, your, uh, your robes. And yeah, it frees you. Magician's <laughs> <laughs> robes, not bathrobes, Darren. This is my robe. It can be whatever I want it to be. You don't get to decide what my robe is. That's the beautiful part of it. You know, the background color of the universe is tan or brown, so you, you can blend in with anything that's out there. You're good to go. This is my Jedi robe? <laughs> yeah. That's it, yeah. There you have it. No, I really appreciate you, you get like just getting into, digging into some of that stuff. I really think it's good advice, and yeah, it's uh, just being more authentic and, and that discipline. I'm, I'm in a tough spot. I'm, a, I'm in a spot. This is going to be, this is going to help me this conversation. I'm in a, a bit of a rut with that discipline, with that. You, you sure know, are. Moved into a new place. Didn't really get that sort of, you know, lost that momentum and that uh I'm in a bit of a rut too with some of that stuff myself. Yeah. yeah. So this is good timing for this, this chat. I mean, and especially with what's going on right now. It's easy to lose momentum. That's okay, but that's why you become like the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. There you, you go. <laughs> yeah, that's like the egregore. You know, the five people you spend the most time with. You know, what is it in, in Freemasonry you have what? You the have the master the, Well, you have the master of the lodge, you have the volume of the, the sacred law, and, and and you have the brotherhood. Okay, and these make up the lodge. So the people you know, it's it's no different in the the uh, the uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. You know, the teacher, the teachings, and the body of the faithful. And that Sangha is not just the people that were around the Buddha. Just as the fraternity isn't just the people in the group in your lodge, but it's the broader group, even going into the invisible itself. And that's where we get into the church as the mystical body of Christ, or. You know, the Bodhisattvas or the Great White Brotherhood or whatever they're calling them now. You know, all of those things are how do we integrate 
into that, you know, so that we have those qualities, emulate those qualities within ourselves and therefore have access to those energies. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to let you go until you, you tease the book a little bit more because there's some chapters in there that are really interesting, like the Cathedral of the Soul and these, these groups creating almost like a virtual reality space to meet in consciousness. And like whether it's that celestial sanctum or the, and the meta focus, which is kind of like the Buddhist, the Buddhist uh, meditations. And then that, oh, that, Con- was- that Conan and the um, automatic writing type thing. So I just thought. You oh, know, that's the- great stuff. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's do, let's do Conan first. Yeah. Um, uh, around Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft was a bunch of authors. I think they were known as the Lovecraft Circle. And one of them was the fellow who wrote uh, Conan. And uh, he had a, a very unfortunate uh, ending in many ways. However, when he was at the peak of his creative potential um, and, and a practice, he said that it was as if Conan was standing beside me over my shoulder and just telling me stories and dictating to him uh, what these short books, which would become Conan, uh, as we know the books to be. And that kind of phenomenon of almost an automatic writing, if you will. Now, he wasn't like in a trance, as we think of his automatic writing, but he was in a trance. He was entrained, where he really had this sense of a, another being or person or intelligence just really almost influencing or inspiring him. And that kind of uh, phenomenon is well known within uh, history, the different muse that can inspire poetry, art, what have you. Uh, anyone who's an author or an artist in any way has known it. And I know any f- field of endeavor, any field endeavor that you throw yourself into, you, you can have that experience with. I think what makes writing interesting is that the complexity of maintaining that consciousness as the whole story unfolds. Uh, so that that's great. I think with the other one that you're talking about, the, the Cathedral of the Soul or the Celestial Sanctum, as it's called by Amwork, was a focal point of uh, psychic projection that they began to develop. And, and your description of it uh, as a kind of... Um, VR space to meet in consciousness. Yeah, VR space to meet in consciousness is perfect because it really does fit into that framework in the same way that Bruno was talking about uh, the memory palaces. Okay, the memory palaces are essentially the same thing. Uh, the only person I know of that has really explored this well and in depth on a practical level was uh, Jean Dubuis uh, with his writings on uh, the different palaces, and in particular with his work, uh, uh, The Experience of Eternity, which was his final book, uh, and how these memory palaces are created, how these virtual reality spaces are created on a psychic level, and how they're sustained not just created, but sustained and how groups do them and how you can do one for yourself so as not to be pulled into others. He used to say it's better to build your own wood house than, you know, serve in someone else's uh, uh, mansion. Palace, yeah, yeah. Yeah, palace, yeah. <laughs> so that said, he was quite skilled. He was an exceptionally skilled theurgist, by the way, as well as alchemist. Hmm. Exceptional. Um, I just did a talk with, with Russ House, who was the president of the philosophers of nature back in the day, uh, or one of them, but the last one to serve in that role. And uh, we talk a little bit about some of the things that would occur, the phenomena that would occur around Dubuis. So with that said, the Amwork also had, and Amwork at this time was the largest esoteric body in the world. And uh, when, when was this, the early 1900s? or This would have been between... 
1980s into to, into the collapse in 1990 when oh, that occurred. Wow. And I, I have I have, I'll, I'll tell you I have two interesting theories that I think your listeners will be interested in. I'll, I'll say these for the first time on air. At least I nice. think it's the first. Uh, Amwork had a practice called Metafocus, in which its members would be given in the back of the magazine, which was published monthly at that time, and it became quarterly. I think it may be every six months now. And it would be of a world leader and a code word, some kind of strange little word. Now, this was like super secret. You could look them up. And then you would meditate at a time on this leader for five minutes. That's all it was. This was not huge stuff. And you would see, it was interesting, because usually about a month or two later, something would be happening, or maybe not even two months later, a few weeks later, would happen around these leaders. So they were trying to create a context of improved you know, world relations indirectly. They then got rid of that. They still kept meta-focused, but they got rid of the specific leaders and just told the members, you know, spend five minutes, you know, meditating on you know, world peace or harmony for a period of time, trying to keep that, uh, you know, leveling action, if you will, in place. Now, I, I believe, historically, the role of AMWORK in the 20th century esotericism was so significant that in some ways the events around it, uh, the problems of 1990, 91, 92, uh, in which it saw in the English language Grand Lodge. It had 12 or 13 Grand Lodges for different language jurisdictions. But when it saw that was the strongest one, it saw its membership go from about 45,000 people down to 5,000 people in in a matter of years, uh, effectively eviscerating the organization on many levels. Now, it's still around, by the way. It's still around, but it is nowhere close to what it once was. Not even close. And, um, of course, that's my bias. I'll just say that you know, for listeners, I believe that had to happen because they were the only body that you could get into. And if you listen to some of the interviews I've done with people where, let me tell you, you would meet some, you met significant and serious occultists on some levels. Yeah. There were a lot of true believers and there were a lot of what you might call just, you know, fluff bunnies or stuff like that, or, 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 or middle-class, I don't know what to call it now. What would you call it? You know, like a yoga mom variation of that, you know, thing. But let me tell you, Father Albertus was through it, Regardi was in it, Jacques Vallée was in it. Uh, I mean, there were a tremendous amount of people who moved through that organization uh, that people were unaware of. That said, I believe that for that reason, it, it, we'll call it the dark forces really had to bring it down. And I also believe the same thing about the Roman Catholic Church, that for all of its problems— all of its issues. The last saving grace of the Catholic Church for many people, and this is also because of their publicity around this as well, but also for reality, it is the last real Christian organization, major religious entity, that has a ritual of exorcism. Wow. That's really interesting. Which, uh, which was actually gaining ground again a few years back. Yes, and, and in part because it served their their purposes of, of you know we can protect you from the from the devil, uh, but 
if you if you look at it in terms of what really goes on, I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't see it. It's not the only option, but it is the one people think about. And they, they have the, the necessity of that. There is something that goes bump in the night that you really need to be afraid of so that you can deal with it. You know, there's the, the book called The Gift of Fear. You know, fear is a, an alert to us that something isn't right, that we need to pay attention. And, and that exists, too, in, in, in the invisible as well. We need to pay attention here. Pay attention. So do you think that that ha- happening in the... What did you say it was the early 90s when that really went down to, like, 5,000? I mean, do you think that that's, right. that's got some indirect result of why nowadays it seems like there's a huge interest, spike in interest in all kinds of organizations and, you know, magic and occultism. I mean... Yeah, but most of them are worthless. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, they, how many of them are big enough that they can get anything done? No, but, the, but that's kind of what I mean. It's spread. It's, yeah. got it, it's got it spread out all over the place now. It's diluted. It's diluted. There's a tremendous dilution. But yet, but yet there's a huge influx and in interest as well. So it'll be interesting to see where where it goes as if if people stick with it or or take it more seriously or get more um, get it more interested in it. It's a wave, though. You have to think of it this way: it's a tidal wave. The wave goes out. Yeah, it gains strength. It's concentrated. The wave moves concentrated in, and if you're lucky, you're a surfer and you can ride it. But then a point is it hits the shore and it dissipates and then it goes out again and it's weak. So what we're experiencing in the widespreadness of it is actually the weak side of it, not the strong side. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we're seeing with all this publication is the necessity of getting things written down so they don't get lost. That's considered a period of decline, not a period of revelation. Wow, that's interesting. So how long does that go usually? I think it all depends. Yeah. I think there's quite a few factors that work, but all I have to say is for the listeners, you need to decide how significant, important this spiritual teaching is going to be for you at any time, whether times are good or times are bad in your life. You have to get involved, dedicate yourself to some things, and, uh, and, and just, you know, work it through and stay focused on a path. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's good advice. Nah, I, what, I, do you, what do you got going on uh, next, Mark? We don't want to keep you too long here, but do you have uh, any projects, any more books coming out or anything like that? Well, what we finally did is we're able to get something like 10 years of audio recordings organized and up on Teachable in an, uh, in our class form. So wow. we have our we have our coursework which is a complete overview of the path and uh, it's very detailed and it's very good and um, you know folks can go there and see what we've got. Uh, we continue to do some writing um, not as much right now because that's taken a lot of time and Shifting towards more audio presentations for, because of the ability to do the oral presentation and really the oral tradition. Yep. So yep. What, what I'm working on now is just this morning I decided I'm going to do a class on Israel Regardi's uh, one-year manual and take some of the notes and discussions I've had with Joe Lashevsky because he knew Regardi for whatever it was, 12 or 15 years or something like that, and um, 
take some of the notes from him and, and other discussions with people and look at that presentation of the fundamentals that are in that book, which are essential, and show uh, what their benefit is. Because I find that students want to skip over the basics. They want to get to the good stuff when the reality is there is no good stuff. There's only how well you do the basics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's on the plate. Awesome. And that's all, is that all at Hermetic Institute? If uh, we haven't linked up the Teachable platform because it's so new to the uh, hermeticinstitute.org, but if they go to Vox Hermes, our blog at, uh, at WordPress, they'll see some links. And if they go to teachable.com, and just type in Institute for Hermetic Studies, they can get it. Uh, or if they go to uh, either of those two or three and just email me, I'll, I'll send them links on it. Awesome. And of course, we'll link to all that in the show notes yeah. as well. Did you have anything else, Darren? To... Nah, you know, check out the course, I think. I almost interrupted you a couple times. Yeah, if, if, yeah, check it out too. Yeah. Big and the course yeah, is... A bit of an interrupter. <laughs> Let me tell you, the course is exceptionally detailed. Uh, you're not going to find anything like it out there I, I that i can promise you awesome well that's great yeah well i mean i didn't even really focus you know i wanted to talk to you about egregores but it's great to know all this other stuff too so but we did we did talk about it Exa- ex- we just didn't use the word exactly yeah no that's good that's awesome Don't no, get i appreciate aggro. it yeah i'm glad no no i'm i'm <laughs> thanking i'm grateful that we there you uh, go. yeah that's a good place that, that's yeah. a good state to be in yeah, is grateful right. yeah excellent mark thanks buddy We'll uh, link to all that in the show notes, and that was a great book. I'm glad you read it yourself, too. I was going to compliment you on that. Um, It fits in with this audio. uh, I think everything's going audio now, so I think that's a good direction for you guys to go. Thank you very much. Yeah. Right on, buddy. Right on, Mark. Thanks a bunch for coming on the show. Uh, Good luck, and come back anytime. Oh, you're welcome. Feel free to invite me. All right, buddy. Good night. Bye. And that was a chat with the one and only Mark Stavish. What would you think, buddy? Yeah, it was uh, it was good, man. I'm glad we got into all that. Are you more aware of all your aggregores now? To- yeah, totally. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's inspiring. It's neat. Yeah. It's like the last two shows we did, we just recorded before this one as well. They, they're timely and inspiring for me. They're, I need some motivation, and uh, it's good, man. Yeah. yeah that I, was a sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't even, I can't even can't high-five, even high-five properly. We got to get you into a program. You were like... <laughs> You came in low. <laughs> <laughs> so just for people, Amork is that uh, is the Rosicrucian order, their official uh, official organization. Um, that's what he was talking about. Jordan was a Rosicrucian. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I agree with what he said, man. You know what's, you know what's interesting about it? He talked about the Buddha Dharma Sangha, which is part of our recovery program at Recovery Dharma. Mm-hmm. dot org but he also talked about like step 10 stuff a lot of it was kind of recovery related the stuff that we go through like to try and you know heal from alcoholism and addiction whose yeah. audiobook did they end up going with what do you mean the recovery dharma people no they didn't no they they weren't publishing anything oh no 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 it wasn't like they were choosing it's just uh-huh. it's open totally open what, so whichever narrator you want they weren't they're not i don't think they're publishing did you think they were publishing their own no, I don't know. No, we just threw our our version out uh, on you on our YouTube and podcast feed and all that. There was no black budget. I don't know if it went and to the non black. I don't know if it went to their site at all. Yeah, 
I thought it was on their site. Well, I don't know. It was for a bit, but then oh. I think it got taken down or something. Bastards. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, big thanks to Mark for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, one way to get those aggregores off your back, head over to grimeamerica.ca slash support. <laughs> like he said, supporting stuff helps. <laughs> Just don't spread yourself too thin. Just don't spread you yourself too thin. We don't want you spreading yourself too thin at grimeamerica.ca slash support. Just thin enough. Help us... Uh, Help us thicken up a little bit over here, thicken up our resources, thicken up our, 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 our egregore. Egregore. Helps fatten up the egregore into a healthy, some healthy fats. I don't know. Anyway, support the show because uh, it matters and we notice and we love you for it. And if you guys didn't support the show, there'd be no show because, uh, yeah, that's just how it works. We we find uh, we hope you guys find a little value from the show and in turn throw a little value back our way. America.ca slash support. If you're a little down on your luck or you don't have the extra funds, you can review the show, share the show. I mean, we got we got you know tens of thousands of listeners, but we still aren't even quite at a thousand reviews, reviews yet, yeah. reviews and yeah. ratings. So I mean, that let's, would help. Yeah, let's it helps. Start there. That the helps. Comment. Do the review, the stars, and the comment. And that share. helps the algorithm. That's it. Helps the the what the algorithm. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, yeah, we love you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Five pink flamingos and a few flamenco dancers. They're in the kitchen, and they're baking day of the dead cookies. And I step into the kitchen And I'm like, let me have a looky See what kind of cookie you're cooking up And they're looking up at me, skeptical And I point next to my spectacles And I'm wearing a Maroon Harvard t-shirt Yeah, I know I'm a smart cookie, but I'm no psychic You can come and ring my bell but where we're gonna end up in the future, I can never tell. I can never tell. Me and five of my best friends, and a few of my enemies. We're at the coffee shop. Settling our differences Benjamin Otto Pulls out a game of Chinese checkers And he orders a cappuccino And I pick blue and he picks red And you pick yellow And I'm wearing a tie-dye peace sign t-shirt Yeah, I know I'm a peacenik But I ain't no hypocrite You can come and ring my bell but where we're gonna end up in the future, I can never tell. I can never tell. One bell, one man. And with my sense of smell, I can smell the salt in your tears. I can sense your fears You're hoping for a bit of divinity In this worldly vicinity And you understand the fragility of the human vessel 
And you sit Indian style like a pretzel And you levitate to a transcendental state when you meditate And you levitate to a transcendental state when you meditate And you levitate to a transcendental state